And now, the show that bridges the gap between faith and business. Welcome to Bottom Line Faith. On today's show, part two of Ray's visit with David Green, CEO and founder of Hobby Lobby. You know, it really primarily is about working. We all, God has put us here to work, every one of us. Uh, he put Adam and Eve here to work before the sin. And he wants us, and that's what we're supposed to do. And I, I think it's terrible if, if we don't use our hands and whatever God has given us to do the very best we can. Well, hey, folks, this is Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. This is the program where we love to bridge the gap between faith and business. Today's episode is part two of our recent interview where we have the chance to go down to Oklahoma City and interview Hobby Lobby CEO and founder David Green. David is one of the most successful and godly businessmen that our country has ever seen, and he is really modeling living out faith and business on a daily basis. This is part two of the episode of our interview with David Green. After you've had a chance to be encouraged and blessed by this episode, I'd like to encourage you to go back and check out part one if you haven't already done so. So let's listen to our conversation with David Green. With the little things, he will entrust much more. And so very, very exciting. So one of the things that I was, and this is related to the business, this is a, if I'm correctly understanding, this is a 100% privately held family-owned business. Is that correct? That's correct. And you have approached family working in the business with great intentionality and great purpose and strategy. Would you tell us a little bit about your approach on bringing up the children in the business, now grandchildren, great-grandchildren down the road? How, how have you done that? What are some of the things you've guarded against, and how's that all worked? Well, first, uh, with my children and my grandchildren, we we don't encourage them to come into the business, nor we ain't disencourage them. Our hope, my wife and I, is that our children and our children's children will just try to follow after the Lord and find out what God would have for them. As my brothers and sisters, all five, were in ministry, we're finding that I'm having more children and grandchildren in ministry than I am in the business, and and more, in fact. And so we're really, really good with that. We have 35,000 employees here, and uh, it doesn't have to be a family member that runs this company. In fact, we don't own the company. God does. And we have to be good stewards, so the person that needs to follow me needs to be the very best person to steward this company. And so that's kind of how we approach it. The family has all signed off any right we have to any stock that we own. The stock's in four trusts, my three children and myself and wife. But we've all signed off uh, that we can never touch the company at all. I can't touch one penny of this company that we're salaried. And so 100% of the voting stock is in a green stewardship trust. And so my wife and myself and my three children, the five of us are on this green stewardship trust, which is the very top from a legal standpoint of everything below it, like Hobby Lobby. And so our idea is that we just want to be stewards, and that's all we are. And to get on, this this trust could have seven. It can have my grandkids, my great-grandkids, and it can go f- from now on. But to get on this trust, you know, you have to believe in these particular things, that Jesus Christ is the only way. He's a virgin birth, da-da-da, on and on. And so this is kind of how we have done it, that we, none of us have any value. 
if God owns it, it should be in a tree form, not a bunch of branches. So we've had people come in here to advise us, and they want me to break a branch of, you get a branch, you get a branch, and you get a branch. Well, what happens? You really divide a company. Well, we're not divided. We're one. So we are a committee that comes together to decide on the, the profits of this company. We see ourselves as one and not as units. So we're able to do things of, of sub, substantial because it's like this person can't say, well, my part, I want to do this, and my part. You don't have a part. I don't have a part. <laughs> you just are. You sit on a committee. The Bible says there is um, safety in numbers, you know. So this is how we come together once a month and decide how we our stewardship, what God has given us and the finance God has given us. So we don't have to concern ourselves with someone selling off or not working because if you get paid, you have to work. And so that's, I have to work to get paid and so does my children and grandchildren. Fantastic. And and one of the things I chuckled when, when I read earlier on in the book, you call yourself old school, mm-hmm. right? And you talk back through the book about very early on, you taught your kids the value of work, the value of money. And mm-hmm. what did that look like? You talked about your kids working for seven cents a frame and so forth. But this played out into their first car, their college education. And so help our audience understand how you shaped the values of your children through these old school values. You know, it really primarily is about work. And we all, God has put us here to work, every one of us. Uh, he put Adam and Eve here to work before the sin. And he wants us, and that's what we're supposed to do. And I, I think it's terrible if if we don't use our hands and whatever God has given us to do the very best we can. And I tell people one of the hardest things for Barbara and was is not to do for our kids. You know, so <laughs> it's hard not to do for them when they're out here say, okay, we'll come along and help you buy the car, but you do half and I do half. Now, that may be the right or the wrong thing to do, but for us it was like we need our kids to learn work ethics, and they need to get out here and work. And so there's so many things that we could do even today with our grandkids that would be so much easier, but it's not the best thing to do. So sometimes people say, well, I didn't have it, so... I want my kids to have it. Well, it really didn't hurt you not to have it. It didn't hurt me not to have it. So I had to get out and earn my own car. I had to earn everything I had. I got nothing from my family because they didn't have it other than the important things. And that's what they've given me in terms of my spiritual life. So I think it's so important for us to be real careful with finance when it comes to our children and grandchildren. And we're going to come back around that because it was that foundation. We're going to talk in a moment about the uh, Burwell versus Hobby Lobby U.S. Supreme Court case and how this kind of foundation is what got your family through it with, without, without a doubt. But if you don't mind, while we're on this topic about the values being passed along and uh, so forth, uh, no doubt generosity is the core of who you are as a family. And you, in the book, you, there's a couple of analogies that you use. You talk about Uno versus Monopoly. Mm-hmm. Could you comment on that? I, I thought this was one of the two great analogies you shared in the book. Well, and there, there is one way in Monopoly, and I enjoyed playing it when I was a kid. And then, uh, by the way, as I'm becoming an adult, I was, I was playing it for real, you know. <laughs> and to be real honest, it was uh, when people say, it's God's business. It, there's a lot of difference between saying that and doing it legally. You know, I found that there was a gulf there. So it took me a little while to say, okay, uh, we've taken our lifetime to build this thing that's worth billions of dollars, and now I can't touch it. So 
it's uh, and monopoly is trying to hoard and to get and to get more and uh, whoever dies with the most wins. Uh, that's not really quite right. It's more of Uno. It's like who doesn't have any cards in their hands. So when we're when we're through at the end of our day, uh, we'll still have assets here that's going to be doing ministry, but we don't want to find ourselves to where that uh, we haven't uh, given all that we can give on the way. Great analogy, Uno versus Monopoly, very profound. The other story or analogy you talked about was that we're in a relay race, and this was in the context of generosity and what we're passing along to our to our kids. And you talked about the fly zone, the passing zone. Walk us through that a little bit. What, what's that all about? Yeah, I think that all of us, as we build something like God has allowed Barbara and I to build this, we know that there's that period of time that we're going to have to pass that on. And there's a period of time that maybe we're walking as, as in a relay way, uh, race that you're running together. And so right now, it's we're kind of in that area. We're running together with our family and with our employees. But there's one of the times that we have to drop, we have to hand off the baton, and that's the critical time. And so we give a lot of thought to uh, where we are and where we're going to go in the future. Uh, we have plans today. If I'm in a car accident tomorrow, uh, everybody knows in the family who would take my place. But by the way, it may be something different if I'm here 10 years from now. It may That person may be about ready to retire. So uh, it's something that we want to make sure that if we're stewards of this ministry, and it is a ministry, it does belong to God, that uh, we're very careful with it, uh, that it might do the maximum amount of ministry that it can for as long as it can. You talk about in the book about the odds of successfully passing along wealth in a business from first generation to second generation gets small, second generation to third. It, I mean, we get down to, you know, under 5% surviving Gen 4. Correct. I've heard also that there's around $40 trillion that are going to change hands in the next 30 years That's in, in family mm-hmm. legacy. Um, why is that success factor so low, and what advice would you have for someone who's going to be experiencing some of those decisions on passing along generational wealth? Yes, and I think that is something that really uh, caused us to not hand anything down to our children in terms of value in this company. I have good children. I have good great-grandchildren. But I think we should look at the past and what's happened and really what hurts somebody. And I think there's nothing you can do more to a child or a grandchild than to give them wealth that they may or may not work. They don't have to. They may or may not. It's not a position they ought to be. Sometimes I have people in meetings when I'm meeting with businessmen and that they have wealth and they say, well, how does your grandchild feel about that? And I says, I think that's the wrong question is how do I feel about it? Hmm. How do I feel if I have a grandchild that wants something that they didn't earn? I'm not feeling really good about that grandchild, but I don't have any grandchildren like that. They all want to earn what they have and not to receive something and say, I'm successful because I've been handed this. And so I think it's so important how that that we handle any wealth that may, God may give us and to make sure that we don't hurt our, our children and our grandchildren. Well, we see this throughout history. You know, nations have fallen for this very reason, mm-hmm. as wealth was not passed along mm-hmm. correctly and mm-hmm. then a sense of entitlement. We mm-hmm. see it in our young people today. Mm-hmm. And so thank you for setting that standard. Mm-hmm. And I bet sometimes you feel like you're uh, pushing water uphill with that. 
Well, I have a, a family that, that really have bought into it. You know, we have bought into our vision, our mission, and our values. We've come together and made documents of this is who we are. And uh, I thank God that my family, uh, through the third generation, have, uh, have all bought into who we are and what we want to do in the future. And the other analogy on this, you talk about the Civil War analogy. Mm-hmm. Could, you, could you just speak to that? And then I promise we'll move on to something else. No, no, I think that's beautiful. good because you have dollars that, in, that was of, of no value. And, 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 and our vet dollars are of no value to us. When we pass on, they have no value if you haven't used them when you can and when they have value to us. And that's how come it's so important for while I'm living, I want to make sure that I do everything I can with the profits of this company to do all I can to let people know about Christ. I'm just so encouraged for this, not only this conversation, but just when I say pushing water uphill, you really are going against the grain of culture and society today, who so many of us, you know, we all want our kids to have life better than we have. I get that. But you are setting the standard, and I just I want to tell you thank you. Well, I'm thankful for the children that I have because they... Uh, they buy into this, and uh, I, I haven't heard anybody that had a problem with our grandchildren not having some wealth that's going to be handed to them. And they say, "You actually, it gives me freedom. I don't have to worry of how am I going to handle this because I'm, I'm not going to have to. But I'm here, and I can make my way and should make my way on my own." So we feel like that our opportunity, what we should give our children is opportunity. So we have 35,000 jobs here. So there's opportunities in a lot of different areas uh, in this company that our children can come to if they so desire. Well, it is through this foundation that led your family through a very challenging time in the last few years. Let, let's, let's talk about, if you can recall back to the first moment when it was like, uh-oh, we have an issue. Mm-hmm. We have a, a, a big problem here. We have something that's really going to take some intentional thinking. T- take us to that moment, and then we'll, we'll backtrack and talk about the case, but take us to that moment. Well, the moment, first I want to say, earlier I talked about tests. God tests us. Well, here's one of those. A big one. A big test. When our attorneys that are in charge of our insurance and uh, that signs our insurance policies every year says, by the way, the next time our insurance is due, the new insurance policy has to have prescriptions, four prescriptions that we believe without question would could take life. Our family believes that life begins at conception, and only God has created life. There is no life outside of what God has created. And our government was telling us in our new policy that we would have to supply these and pay these for our employees. And so that was when we knew that this just couldn't be the case, that our government should not override our conscience. And our conscience is we can't do this. And so that was the beginning of uh, uh, quite a ride. Yeah, and we're going to unpack that story and that journey just a little bit. But on page 47 in the book, I, I wrote this out or typed this out that said you were furious at the way you felt you were being treated by our government. So how did you balance that that rage <laughs> and fury versus the, the biblical passage that says, be angry but sin not? Yeah. What was that like for you? Well, no, it was very, very difficult for me because at the, at the time I'm just taking the facts. And the facts was that if I don't do this and go against my conscience, then it, it's going to cost me $1.3 million a day as a as a fine. 
So let's if, break that down, if you don't mind, okay. because what did that comprise of? $1.3 million a day. Break that down for us. Okay. The government says that you have to pay them for every person that is on your insurance program. Once you did the math on it, it ended up being 1.3. Yeah. So essentially, we're talking about there was a per day fee per person who yes, was affected exactly. by the plan, and that totaled the $1.3 million. So we're talking real money, even for a multi-billion exactly. dollar company, exactly. right? That, yeah, we obviously couldn't do that long, so yeah. we we could not do that. So we're, we're now back to another test. Like you're saying, uh, you've given us other examples, the store where you kept yeah. the lease, the test of being mm-hmm. obedient around mm-hmm. the $30,000. It's back to my earlier comment about, well, David, it's easy to obey God when you got a lot— but it's all on the line now. Yeah. Literally, right? Yeah, it's not something we could afford. But something, th- this was all based out of the Affordable Care Act. And mm-hmm. as you said, requiring you to cover some uh, drugs, some morning after pills and abortion drugs and those kinds of things. And y- you talked about here's a quote from the book it says, There are times when the test of your conscience is greater than the test of your pocketbook. Exactly. And that is where we came to. And uh, it was it was one of our greatest tests. And I say that on one hand, but on the other hand, I say there was never a time that we even blinked the thought we could do it. No one in our family. So what we had to do at that time, because it was going to affect our entire families, we had to call them together. And so that's what we did. We called them together, everybody that was 16 and older. I think there was 21 of us in that meeting. And it was important to me not to speak. It was more important to me as to ask the youngest uh, how they felt, uh, and then I would be the last to speak. And it was really exciting to see Gen 1, Gen 2, 3. They had asked questions, what else can we do? How can we get out of this? But there was never anyone that would ever. When we got through with the conversation, there was no one that said that we want to take life, that we want to pay for someone's prescription that could take life. And my youngest son was the one that really w- came prepared with... Uh, Talking about Daniel and talking about sometimes Daniel might have been relieved, but there may be sometimes we're in the lion's den that they're not relieved. And so we needed to be prepared to lose this company. And that's, that is the decision we needed to make on that given day. Are we ready? <laughs> so that's, that's what we had to decide. And this is, still, this is still emotional for you. Well, yes, because uh, it's really sad that our, that our country would do something and ask, and they're doing that in other areas of, of, of life. They're asking us to go against our conscience and they're going to fine you uh, or they're going to put you out of business if you don't follow what they believe is the right thing to do. What I love about this, you talked about that family meeting and we've talked earlier about all the conversation that it takes to get to that kind of point. I believe, and I suspect you would agree, that if all those conversations hadn't happened in the past about who we are and what we're about, it led to that moment, didn't it? Yes, exactly. And it, it, it led to the, the, the moment of how important it is for our, we are, for our children to serve God, which is one of the most important things in our life was to, to have a great marriage, to raise our children to serve the Lord. And then they, in turn, raised their children to serve the Lord. And so because of, of the way they have been taught from God's Word, we were all on the same page. It could be in different generations. We have three generations there, my generations, my children's, and then you have the Gen 3s, uh, my grandchildren, that uh, someone could take a different direction, but building it on God's Word, uh, we were together. 
Yes. And ultimately, you were victorious in the case. But if I, if memory serves me right, there was a, a really shrewd professional attorney on your team that found a clause that kind of helped shift this in our direction. Well, I, if you're, if it's what I think you're talking about, there was a way that we could delay yeah. the the insurance and and delay it for about six months, which was really just a delay. It didn't help us necessarily. Watch your time. The the courts made the decisions, and the federal court here in the in Oklahoma City, one judge says. Uh, I'm not going to give you an injunction. And for, that said to me, then I have to pay $1.3 million a day. That's what it says. I mean, that's when he says, you're not going to get an injunction. You're going to follow the government. Then it went to the Tenth Circuit, and three judges says, I'm not going to give you an injunction. So those three judges, two out of three voted against us. You've got to pay $1.3 a day. But anyway, there was a lot of prayer going on, and God allowed us to, which very seldom happens, to have the entire court at the Tenth Circuit look at it, and that's when we got an injunction. We got the injunction on a Friday, and on Monday it was when that new policy had to go into effect, and the policy was already printed, and it did not have these prescriptions that we would not allow to be there. And But God, God came the day before, uh, you know, the, the fine would have started that, that following Monday. But, of course, everybody knows, and it went on to the Supreme Court, and uh, we won on a 5-4 basis. To me, it's ridiculous that it wasn't a 9-0. How can a judge tell you that you're going to take do something against your conscience? And it's not like we're the only ones that believe that life ble- uh, begins at, at conception. You talk about, on page 59 in the book, you wrote about the certainties you had sitting there in the United States Supreme Court about who you were, who your family is, you knew who owned Hobby Lobby, you knew why you were in that courtroom, and you knew who controlled your fate no matter what those justices decided. Take us to that moment. What Just live that out for us. Well, I tell people when I first found out it was 1.3, we were angry, we were scared. My wife and I, and it was like I didn't sleep at night because I'm going to lose the company, da-da-da-da. We went from that to an environment where we were at totally at peace. So that was only a week or two period of time when we were that out of it. And we went to a, an environment, and I tell people I believe the reason we were it's total peace in an environment where we could lose our company for two reasons. And I, one, one of them was the prayer. We had people praying all over the world for us. And the other was... We sit down and says, now, how hard is this? You're going to take life or you're not. Which side is God on? We're on God's side. So why are we going to be fearful? We're on his side. No matter how this comes out, that it's still God's. He's, he's, he's in control of our life. And so between those two things, uh, we rested uh, in um, for all the months that this went through the courts. We, we rested in the fact that we did the right thing. So we shouldn't have any excitement about it. And then the verdict came down, the 5-4 decision. Where were you and what was that moment like? Yeah, uh, we were we were in our conference room here and we had our attorneys there and we were waiting because we knew that it was the last decision they made that year because they said that was the biggest case of the year and we knew it was going to be on that given day. And so we, our family were all gathered in our conference room there and our attorneys was there. 
we were asking them, what are they saying? What are they saying? <laughs> you know, because there's a lot of things. It's just not like yes and no. But anyway, finally they said, you know, we, we've won our case. We're not going to have to uh, supply these. And so my daughter was a cheerleader. So she's up, you know, screaming and hollering. <laughs> so we were very excited and we were thanking God and have since uh, thanking him for him uh, coming to our to our rescue across the street we had this huge billboard up it said uh, our god whom we serve is able to deliver us uh, found in daniel and uh but we we knew deliver might mean something different you know whatever deliver meant uh but we were leaning on him that's the ultimate faith it's he will define yeah what deliver means right right well i'd be remiss if we didn't at least for a moment talk about the bible museum why did the family do what they've done? If you've, I'm going to get a chance to go there here in just a very short period of time. Take a moment, share with us about the Bible Museum and what you hope God will use that uh, for. You know, <clears throat> our family, if you would look at where our finances go, you would find out we try to do a few things of significance because there's literally about 300 requests that come in here every month for finance. And probably 90%, I think we did the numbers on it, it was over 90% is in about seven different projects. One of those, of course, is the, the museum. But all those projects have, uh, they if you'll look at them, they all have to do with God's word or man's soul. That's all that there is that's eternal. So we want to make sure that our investments go into things that are eternal. And, of course, the, we know God's word is, and so we love we love God's Word, and we just sense that God brought us here. You know, it, We didn't know we were going to do this. We bought some antiquities saying we're going to give this to somebody to do this uh, project. We thought there ought to be a world-class Bible museum. I say if there was only one museum in all this earth, it ought to be <laughs> the Bible, because that's the only thing that's eternal other than our man's soul. And so uh, God led us into this. We're excited about it. It's uh, over 430,000 square feet. Uh, during December, we had days when there were 10,000, 12,000 people there. We think that and hope and feel like we may have the numbers that we've gotten, as maybe as many as 3 million people. So we really feel like that it's wow. exactly where it ought to be in Washington, D.C., our answer is in God's Word, and um, we did better starting out this country <laughs> looking at God's Word and, and prayer, and so hopefully we can go back to um, the strength and uh, the truth of God's Word. Maybe we can get back to those foundations and roots. David, the last question that I ask in every interview is what I call my 423 question, based out of Proverbs 423, where Solomon writes, Above all else, guard your heart for from it flows the wellspring of life. So David, if we could just take you to the moment, let's say you're towards the tail end of your time, this side of eternity, and you have a chance to gather your family, your friends, and your loved ones. What is that one piece of advice, that one thing that you want to pass along, that you would like to pass along to our audience today, above all else? I would say that uh, for me, it's to try uh, to accomplish what I'm trying to do for myself and uh, would be for everybody else, and that is God has given us His Word. And I believe that it's so important for us to be in God's Word and to also stand on God's Word. Uh, let's believe what He says and, and stand on it. And when I do that in business, when I do it in marriage, when I do it in family, and I stand on His Word, I've got something solid to stand on. And then comes the, the museum of the Bible, et cetera, et cetera, and all the work we do to 
get God's word all over the world and make sure that every child has God's word and, and all the things God has allowed us to do to spread the gospel. Thank you. David Green, God bless you. Thank God you. bless you. God bless your work. Thank you. Well, folks, this has been Ray Hilbert, your host here at Bottom Line Faith. And uh, we really, really pray and believe that you will have been greatly encouraged and inspired by our conversation with David. And if you're a new uh, listener, go to bottomlinefaith.org. You can scroll down to the bottom of the page there. And whether you're on iTunes, uh, Google Play, or Stitcher, you can become a regular listener here of the podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about Truth at Work, the host ministry here at Bottom Line Faith, check us out at truthatwork.org. Folks, until next time, this is your host, Ray Hilbert, saying God bless and serve him faithfully in the marketplace. Bottom Line Faith is brought to you by Truth at Work. If you'd like to hear about new episodes or listen to past episodes, visit us online at bottomlinefaith.org. You can also subscribe to the show through Google Play and iTunes.